Leading a school is a lot to manage under normal circumstances. But what does it look like during a pandemic? I'm Steph from Heinemann, and today on the podcast, we're joined by Tom Marshall, principal and lead learner from Paramus, New Jersey, and author of Reclaiming the Principalship, Instructional Leadership Strategies to Engage Your School Community and Focus on Learning. In today's episode, my colleague Michelle talks with Tom about the challenges of leading a school through uncharted territory, how other leaders can support teachers, kids, and families, and what lessons we might learn through this process. Here now is Michelle. I thought we could start with your telling us a little about your school and what kind of impacts you're experiencing as a result of the pandemic and how you've been responding. Sure. Um, so I'm the principal of Stony Lane Elementary School. It's a K through four elementary school in Paramus, New Jersey. We're one of five elementary schools um, that feed into two middle schools that feed into a high school. Our district has about 4,000 students. We are a suburban district. So when all of this happened, of course, just like with everyone else, we were really blindsided. Nobody ever expected a pandemic in mid-year. We've actually, we're a very collaborative district, I feel. And I, I think that we have a fantastic leadership team. So that in and of itself was not a difficult transition, but the content of what we had to collaborate about was very different. You know, I don't think of myself as a, a expert on technology, but I've had to learn it. But I've also, it's put me back into the position of learner where I've had to humble myself and, and just let others take the lead in something that I'm not an expert in. The collaboration has also happened in other ways because now teachers are collaborating differently in forming their own plans for for first the transitional, what we call distance learning 1.0 into the full-blown distance learning um, experience that we're having right now. Um, I feel like the, the leaders in our district um, are acting in a very united way. Everyone's really talking to each other, trying to figure out what's going to be best um, instructionally and emotionally for our students as well as, as well as our teachers. And like I said, in a district that's five elementary schools for suburban New Jersey, that's a pretty big district. It's forced us to articulate across our schools to make sure that we're all on the same page with curriculum and with our practices, because now more than ever, our work is public. You know, even though it, it seems like it's private that it's in our own homes, but it's more public than ever. Yeah, I mean, things are so stressful right now. What are some ways, in your opinion, Tom, administrators can help reduce the anxiety of both the teachers and the students as you've made this pretty much like an over a course of a weekend, this pivot <laughs> to going, you know, online, going virtual? Um, one of the things that I found myself doing was was trying to join other online communities of principals. So um, engaging with principals who I've met on Twitter, uh, from other places in the country or Facebook, and just hearing about the experiences in the Midwest and the, and the West and, and the South, and, um, and just hearing how people are approaching this very same situation differently because of who they are and their experiences. There's lots and lots of good webinars about online learning in all different subject areas and about leadership in all those ways. And so in order to uh, foster and continue to foster community, it's important for us to be members of communities ourselves. And so maintaining that type of life is really important. 
right now for us. It's also important for us to be learners about it, to keep reading, you know, what was successful in other places that um, went through distance learning and what was not successful so that we don't have to make the same mistakes that others have made. Another thing that we we could do in order to kind of foster community virtually is to think about things like, well, if only, if only this were that way, then it is possible for us to make those things that aren't in existence exist. I've also kept communication going in, in our school uh, through online morning announcements because the students want to hear the teacher's voices and the principal's voice so that it feels as normal as possible. So every day I spend some time making um, a five-minute video with morning announcements that has regular news, but also I integrate things like, um, did you know? And then I have like some some interesting facts about Alaska or about um, Abraham Lincoln or marsupials, right? Um, today's positive thought is in there. We have riddles, we have trivia questions, some indoor fun activities, sites that'll teach them how to um, engage in origami or some cool writing activity. I also have um, a weekly text thread going with my teachers because it's really important for us to pay attention to the anxiety the teachers may be feeling. And so, you know, I live in a, in a place where spring is beginning to bloom. And so sometimes I'll take pictures of different things that are growing now and just send them out to the teachers or, you know, my, my kids every day, at the end of my workday, I kind of transitioned by going in the yard with my own kids and playing. And one day I just started snapping pictures of them. And I sent that out to my teachers saying, so, you know, let's share some pictures of joy. And within two minutes, like the, the pictures started coming and it helps to rally community. And just just yesterday, I sent some more springtime pictures and some, you know, everyone started responding. And one of the teachers actually wrote back in the text, she said, um, these pictures remind me of what a beautiful world we live in. And this is so important for me because my cousin just passed away this morning. Teachers by nature are hard workers. But the thing is, when you work in a school building, you have community around you. You have your colleagues who you could talk to about teaching and about your life. And right now, teachers are working probably harder than ever, but they don't have the, the colleagues right there. And so this is one of those things that helps to bridge that gap, you know, so that the conversations can keep going on. I was going to say, it makes me think of that also when you're in the building, because like you, to your point of teachers being such hard workers, there's a point when that bell rings and, and they're going to they're gonna start wrapping up and moving on. And I've heard from friends of mine that are teachers, that's been really hard to do, stepping away yes. from, your, from the work. And so you're, as the leader of your school, sending a text out to say, I'm in the backyard with my kids. I'm unplugging a little bit. What That's huge. I have a lot of friends who are really struggling making that break. Yeah, it's 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 hard because there's no commute in between. You know, it's like you're wearing the same clothes. It's it's really it's it's just a whole different way to work working at home. And we all need those stress reducers for sure. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to tuck in here the the part about you know how pedagog- pedagogy really trumps technology. Some people are finding that as something that they're grappling with in this environment is like, well, how do I make my teaching fit the technology that exists? Well, really, no. It's about trying to fit the technology around the teaching, you know, and making sure that you don't forget what's the good practice that you know about in school. And so it's it's very important for us not to be intimidated by the technology um, and the way we use technology as a, a means of communicating and a means of instructing. 
but to to make that work, that's a tool, just like it would be in school. You don't design units around the technology that you have. You kind of make the technology fit into, you know, what you need these students to learn. Yes. I think that you kind of addressed this question a little bit in your last answer, but I was going to ask about, you know, that hopefully teachers are getting support they need from school leaders, but if they aren't, what kinds of support can they seek? What advice would you offer? And I know you've already talked a little bit about the the things you're doing for your teachers and also, of course, online resources and such, but I don't know if you wanted to add anything to that. People have to understand that teachers and principals and parents and, and board members and superintendents we're all in this same pandemic right now. All of our kids are at home. All of our, you know, all of us are worried about friends and maybe relatives who are susceptible to this virus and and are possibly in greater danger because of pre pre existing conditions. Many of us are worried about friends or family losing their jobs. So we're all kind of inventing this as as we go along. And so if you're if you're a teacher who's feeling like you're not being supported by your leadership, the first thing I would do, I would suggest is, is to turn to each other and kind of have a conversation, turn to your colleagues and have a conversation about how your teaching is going, because you need to talk to someone about it and talk about the successes and the strengths of what's going on, but also then talk about the difficulties that that you're having. You know, sometimes we feel confined to a school building and we can go to the person next door or down the hall. But really in this world, we really can turn to others around the world through social media and engaging with others on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and any other means that you have, you know, to communicate with others, but you really need to talk to your principal or whoever your leader is and kind of talk about the issues that you might be having. And, you know, one thing that, a leader would probably appreciate or it would help your relationship is if while you're talking about the problem that you're having, tuck in the word because and say why something may or may not be working as well and try to make it so that the because has something to do with student learning. You know, because even if the principal isn't quite seeing what you're seeing, they want students to be successful too. And you know, if your principal is someone who spent a lot of years in the classroom or recently left the classroom, they probably have a good idea about student learning and care about student learning. But none of us ever taught in a pandemic before, no matter how well grounded we were. And we're not going through the same thing that you're going through in that way. Or when talking about something that might not be working, um, your principal probably wants to get it, but isn't getting it yet. And so it's important to share anecdotes or examples of you know, actual student conversations that might be going on and kind of talking about why something may or may not be working. Something that's important also to remember is that principal has a finite amount of power. We don't, like people think the principals have this like huge amount of power over everything, but, you know, we also answer to someone else. Um, And usually we can talk through an issue just like we would at school. But it's important to remember that we're going through the same pandemic and, and it's it's really important to engage with the principal as a person. And, you know, I think most principals would be willing to have a conversation with teachers who aren't feeling supported and try to work out some sort of a solution so that so that our kids and all of us can come out of this much stronger. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that maybe we could talk a little bit about engagement now, you know, what kind of conversations are happening around students' engagement 
in your own school, perhaps, um, and what you're hearing out there, like you said, in the wider world, uh, in terms of meeting kids where they are, and of course, balancing the social emotional needs with academic needs, um, which is, as you said, we are in a pandemic. Everyone is living this <laughs> together. If you could speak to that a little bit, Tom, what you're... Right. So, so one of the most important pieces of feedback that we that we received when we first began this distance learning experience was um, from countries that that went through it already to take your um, expectation and then cut it in half and then cut it in half again because when kids are at home learning with their parents who are going through working in you know as frontline workers or experiencing disease in the immediate family or in the not so immediate family or in the worry of losing their job or in not having the right amount of technology we just can't have the same expectation for quantity as we would in school and the expectation for quantity um, can't be the same from student to student it can't be the same you know in our expectation that kids are going to show up for online um, meetings with the whole class because they're sharing screens with their brothers and sisters or their parents and so it's it's important for us to keep that in perspective um, as far as the quantity is concerned, what our district has decided to the model that we have is Monday through Thursday, there's new uh, instruction in reading and writing and math in the elementary school. And we have one lesson per week in science or social studies. Our special areas like art and music and physical education and media studies have one lesson per week. And then Friday is considered a catch-up day. It's a chance for students to kind of catch up on anything they may not have finished. We also don't expect something to be turned in for every lesson that happens. And the expectation also is that now all our teaching is asynchronous. So we're not really supposed to have new teaching in a whole class meeting because we don't know that everyone can make it. So we either have to do that in a small group or do a screencast so that all kids can have a chance to access it. So that's an important thing. And I feel like we've gotten a lot of positive feedback from the parents in our district who were struggling with some of the expectations as they may have been laid out or they thought they were laid out. Um, another thing regarding student engagement is that now with the elimination of state testing in our testing grades, um, that's given us a little bit more breathing room to allow for some other ki kinds of work. So we've brought in things like passion projects where kids have a lot of choice in something that they want to study and as it relates to literacy or other subject areas, um, we brought back poetry, which unfortunately is one of the first things that often gets cut when we're trying to race through standards. And so we have some new units coming in our testing grades about poetry as both a reading unit and a writing unit. In order to bump up the level of teacher engagement, you know, we're a workshop district and so our teachers have conferences in reading and writing all the time, and they've learned how to take notes and kind of extract the learning from it. And so we're trying to treat every conversation that we're having virtually as a conference, you know, but it's not just about one simple reading or writing teaching point per se. It's about the child's whole learning experience. And that's, that's another critical thing. But also, it's like another mantra we've sort of begun to adopt is that March is the new September. Um, and just like a teacher would engage in a lot of community building and a lot of routine establishment in September, we kind of had to do that again in March. And we had to kind of go through, here's how we're going to work together. 
here's the types of partnerships you'll have, and here are the expectations that we're going to have of you and the beliefs we have in you. Talking about student engagement, another important thing is teacher engagement. Um, How are we going to maintain that? And so we've had ongoing study groups with our teachers on topics of their interest all year. And although we're not formally meeting now and we've taken away all the the mandated reporting around that, but, you know, it's something that I try to kind of tuck into my own conversations with teachers and how they are kind of maintaining what they're learning and kind of getting them excited for, you know, maybe next year, you know, you can continue where you left off because this is a topic that you seem to care about and you seem that you, you, you seemed very good at. And so I'm hoping that, that you'll get to be able to continue that next year and I'd love to support you in it. So in light of the fact that districts have not yet announced what fall, what's going to come, you know, whether kids will be right back in school or not, I think you probably, you're maybe not sure as well in your own district or school, but in this period now, what opportunities do you see for change and growth as schools do reopen when they reopen based on all this learning you're doing now and observing? So it's funny, like things seem to be changing every five minutes. (laughs) And just today, the governor of New Jersey announced that we were going to be closed till the end of the year. And it's something we kind of knew was going to come, but it really came and now it's really real. And so that's, that's the kind of thing, like ever since this all began, everything is in a constant state of flux. And so it's hard to make plans when you're just not sure exactly where you're headed. But one of the things that, that we've begun to do is to, to make notes on the gaps in learning, you know, as best we can and seeing what are the areas that Um, Our teachers don't feel we were necessarily able to teach as well as we would have in the classroom, Um, taking taking into consideration that in the reduction of our expectations because of needing to have it and have it and have it so that it's uh, less and less and less, there are certain goals we may not have paid as close attention to within each unit that now we'll have to, you know, address next year in next year's grade. We're also thinking about, you know, what will the curriculum look like? How will it be different next year? How will our early report cards look different next year, right? So these are some things we're paying attention to, but we're also looking at the social-emotional learning that goes into this, paying attention to who are the students who may have experienced the loss during this time, who are the, the students who may have experienced illness themselves or their parents or someone in their immediate household during this time, who are the ones that are having the greatest anxiety with this whole distance learning and what is that going to look like in the fall? Cause no one's ever experienced that. No one's experienced the post period of this. Like what is it going to look like for kids that had to go through distance learning, you know, and then came back to their school environment or they went into a new school cause they graduated the level that they were at. You know, they never really got to have closure in elementary school or middle school. You know, what is that going to look like? Or not having gone through those rites of passage of graduation or a lot of the the special things that they've been waiting for for years, you know, as sort of like they're moving on to the the next school. We can also prepare for this by looking at our technology closely and and seeing, you know, what platforms do we need? What um, machines do we need to get? You know, what are the things that we can do technologically to prepare for this or this to happen again? One of the nice things that's kind of happened, the silver lining that has come from this is, we as a district purchased a lot more Chromebooks, you know, that we have available for our students. We also began 
we nudged a lot of our primary students into Google Classroom where they hadn't been there before. And now we're ready for that. And so that's that's a critical thing here. One other area that might that we might want to pay attention to in September is, like I said, some schools who have this culture of teaching toward independence from a very early age or very early on in the year are having a much easier piece of that right now. They're able to get their kids thinking independently and making decisions on their own, where if they if they were in an environment where the teacher was sort of micromanaging every every move within their learning, like those those kids are having a harder time now. And the same thing is true on a school level. If there's a principal who may have micromanaged everything the teacher did, they're having a hard time right now because they can't be there. They can't be peeking against the classrooms every day. And so um, it's important as schools that we move toward creating cultures of independence and ownership and agency. Move toward a culture of independence, ownership, and agency. I like that. (laughs) Super powerful. Yeah. So my final question is, as the lead learner of your school, you know, have you been offering support and communicating with your teachers? Again, you shared some of that, but more, what advice would you give to other school leaders? Uh, I would say this is not a normal time, but you want to make it feel normal as possible. So if there are certain structures that you have in place in your own day-to-day practice, try to keep what you can. So for example, every month the teachers in our school get together to celebrate the birthdays of any any adult who had a birthday that month and we have breakfast together. And we do that now, we do it online and everyone brings their own breakfast and they just talk. Teachers need that and all, all adults need that in, in their work environment too. I have a daily uh, email message that comes where I'm, I make announcements and things like that. I, I'm continuing the morning message so that teachers know that that's a place where they can turn for important information. Um, every Friday I give my teachers an article you know, to just read and we don't really have any follow-up. There's no accountability around it, but it's something that I can continue to do. Send them a link on Friday of just something interesting that I think they could benefit from reading. But like the thing is that keeping structures in place so that it feels as normal as possible is an important way to do that. Also thinking about the social emotional anxiety or, or the, the state of mind of teachers is really important too. Having conversations in grade level meetings or in department meetings or on those texts that I was talking about, you know, everybody share out what is your end of day of practice. So at the end of my day, I go downstairs, I take my kids out into the yard and we play. And um, for some people that could be cooking or it could be gardening or it could be calling someone or it could be doing a crossword puzzle or it could be just sitting with their Netflix and watching their favorite show but sharing out what is what is the thing that you do to kind of transition? Because some teachers will be on until 11 o'clock at night if we don't tell them that they have to stop. And I jokingly tell them, it's not that we care about you. It's <laughs> if you burn out, you're not gonna be able to teach. But of course we care about them too. I shared the example of, of sharing signs of spring coming and letting people know that we will get out of this eventually. We have to recognize that teachers also have anxiety right now when they're dealing with their own family situations, when they're dealing with everything else that's going on around us. So it's important for us to pay attention to them as well. I think also in the position of head learner of the school, part of my job is to ensure that teachers are growing and that they're in the business of learning, right? 
and that they're they're learning about something that they care about. And so we've had structures going on through coaching and through professional learning communities and study groups in our school. And we've been growing these studies nicely. And we want them to understand that right now we're not pushing the stop button on that. We're just pushing the pause button on that. This is something you've invested your time in. And next year, you're going to have the chance if you want it to continue, because that's something that gives teachers energy, you know, to, to feel like their work is new each year. And it's not just the reinvention or the fulfillment of some mandate. It's really recreating who you are as a teacher. It's that creative side that made us all wanted to be, want to be teachers. Social distancing doesn't stop collaboration. It just looks different. And so the, the collaborating that teachers are going through right now is such a critical piece. And whether it's figuring out a, a lesson or finding a site, or just talking about some bigger issue around their practice is something that is, is very important for us to continue. I, it's funny because I have, I've been participating in some webinars recently with teachers and uh, a teacher from Chicago Public School said something that really made an impact on me. She said that in light of the moving away from the testing right now in the in participating in some PD or reading an article or whatever it is, she's like, I feel like I have a little more time to think about that. You know, if all the other things are working and that teacher knows to push away at 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon to free up some space and feed your mm-hmm. family, but also to think about your own practice, you know, and how it's like she was sort of suggesting she felt like she had a little more bandwidth to think about things. And I thought that was really... It's really important. Without reflection or learning, it's only just jumping through hoops and compliance. But if we don't if we don't take time to reflect on what we're doing and what we're learning, then we'll never outgrow ourselves and, and then we'll get really tired really fast. <laughs> totally. Yeah. We're, it's, it's, we're in it for the, it's the long game, right, Tom? Yeah, long game. definitely a very long game. Um, <laughs> besides getting to know the technology much, much better so that we can use it as a, a tool. It's important for us to look at the way we collaborate so that we're not just like uh, our, our meetings are not just about, planning the next field trip, you know, and saying, oh, you collect the money and I'll make the permission slip and I'll call the place. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot more about big picture stuff, talking about engagement, you know, talking about growth mindset or any, any other thing that seems important to our work. I think in this situation, one of the things that is a tool that can help us is if we make a list of the things we believe in, right? So if we, if we believe in student independence, if we believe in choice, if we believe in, anything, right? Um, So it's almost like you make a T-chart where you list your beliefs out on the left. And then on the right, you would name the ways that you might do that in school or the ways that that can continue in distance learning, right? Um, Paying attention to, you know, kids can still have choice at home. Kids can still do things that, that are engaging to them. Or, you know, if I believe in listening to students, what does that look like in distance learning, right? It looks different, but it can exist. Right. So we can't let go of our beliefs just because we're at home. You know, we just have to change the way that they they are maybe mapped out. Another thing that we can pay attention to is like there are going to be problems that come up in distance learning that we didn't anticipate. And so so, for example, if your fourth grade teachers are hearing back from the parents that the workload is just too heavy, there's too much work and you get that feedback as the principal, um, then engage your whole fourth grade team in authoring what the the change is going to look like. How are we going to make that better? How are we going to act on that feedback in a productive way? So it's important to collaborate with teachers on the solutions. And every school has some sort of community 
some sense of community um, that they've built their school around. And so some places it's athletics, in some places it's uh, something very local, but in some places it's a lot about learning. And so I think the schools that have built their community sense around what they're learning are having a, a little bit easier of a, a time right now because it's just always been what they talked about. And so teachers are able to continue that. When we started the conversation, you had talked about the point when the teachers may be ending the Zoom meeting and, and they want to check in and prepare the kids. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to, I can't remember what prompted you sharing that. So my, my school counselor actually told me about this and told the teachers in our school about this, that with young children that have been separated from their classroom community uh, for a while now, they're really missing them. And it's hard for them to articulate what that looks like or why they feel the way they feel and why they're behaving differently. And she said that sometimes when kids get onto virtual meeting with their classes, they're, they're, they're experiencing this like rush of like, I'm with my friends, I'm with my people, I'm, I'm where I belong and I've missed this and I've waited for this and I didn't even know I missed it. Then when they get off the virtual meeting, they cry, right? Or they're upset or they behave differently. So it's important to welcome them in the beginning, give them a chance to just talk right? Um, So if you can structure your virtual meeting in that way where you just give them a chance to talk and be with each other, you know, and I I regularly have meetings with grade levels in my school and and it starts with a read aloud that I read them and then I give them a chance to talk again. I give the teachers a chance to say something and then um, I teach them how to play a math game or a word game and then I put the directions to the game into their Google Classroom. Another thing that, that happens, though, with these kinds of meetings that kids emotionally can crash right after and they're upset. So before we hang up, it's important for us to say things to them like, so I know that you might be feeling something right now as our meeting is ending, but let's look forward now. Our next meeting is Wednesday. And so on Wednesday, we're going to talk about this and this and this. And on Wednesday you know, kind of preparing them for that. It almost reminded me when I was little, my my brother and I would visit our cousins in Connecticut and we would see them twice a year and we like we couldn't wait to see them. And for months and months, months, we were counting days till we got to go up to see them. And while we were there, there was this like euphoria. We were in seventh heaven. And then about an hour before it was time to go home, we started crying because we knew we were going to miss them all over again. And so it's like that, you know, you know you're going to miss your friends. So it's important for the grownups to acknowledge that and to address it by kind of saying, well, you know, but we're going to see each other again and here's what we're going to work on and how's everyone feeling right now. And if you're feeling sad later, here's something you can do and give them an outlet like drawing or sending the teacher an email or, you know, something like that so that they can kind of deal with that whole side of school, which they've never really had to experience before and neither have we. So this is uncharted territory for all of us, but we have to pay close attention because if they're not if they're not feeling right, they're not going to be learning. That feels like a best practice to me because I realize, you know, when you're when teachers are in their classroom in their environment, you can read the room, you know who needs a little more support or a hug or all these all these just 
cues from, I mean, the thing that's interesting to me about Zoom, for instance, is it's very hard to make eye contact with people. And I can't imagine as a teacher having a screen of those little faces, you know, just all those subtle things. But that that's so powerful. What a great share with your from your counselor. I mean, I, I had a meeting with two first grade classes the other day. And, you know, in the beginning, I said, all right, everybody talk. And they were silent. They were just kind of staring at each other because they hadn't seen each other in a month. And they needed that. They needed that. And then after a couple of minutes, the dam burst and they all started talking. And it's it's so funny. And parents emailed me after saying, you know, they were so grateful that we were able to do that. And that made the child's day. And the child kept talking and talking and talking about you know, who was there and the kind of background they had. And, and this one was in outer space. And so it's it's really important to just maintain that sense of community, even though we're not together. Well, Tom, I know you have kids yourself, a real, like you said, a fifth grader, you have a one-year-old of a real range there. And I have middle school and high school student. I'm so grateful I don't have the littles. I think they it's, it would be very hard to work and try to help as a parent try to do that work. So I think that feedback's got to hopefully be meaningful to you to hear from parents who are home isolated and <laughs> you know trying to do all the jobs they're doing too, you know? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone, this will be better. This will be over and we'll all be back together soon. So keep washing your hands and know that, you know, you're in this for a good reason. Right now at the time of this recording, it's Teacher Appreciation Week. And I feel like the whole world appreciates our field more than they ever, ever did before. And so please know that that what you're doing is so important in the lives of these children that are going to remember you forever for it. So keep it up. My thanks to Tom and Michelle for their time today. You can follow Tom and his work on Twitter at TomLitTogether. His book, Reclaiming the Principalship, is available to order from Heinemann.com. Check out our blog for more teaching content at blog.heinemann.com. The Heinemann Podcast is a production of Heinemann Publishing. It is produced and edited by Steph George. Sound mixing by Steph George. Our creative producer is Lauren Audette. And our executive producer is me, Brett Whitmarsh. To learn more about the Heinemann Podcast, visit blog.heinemann.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.